Well, good morning, everybody. We're doing a series of three um, separate standalone talks. Um, Paul brilliantly spoke to us last week on guidance. It was a great time for John and I as we were thinking through some really big questions in our life. Um, so thanks to Paul for that. And next week, Lou is leading us through thinking about talking with the Lord who speaks. And today is all about uh, living for the Lord who created. I wonder if you think much about how you live and why you live like you do and those kind of things. I think about it all the time for some reason. And um, I just want to start by showing you three pictures of my life. Um, When I was about eight, I was involved in brownies. I swam for the county. I played violin and piano to grade six. Um, I was a bit of a geek, really. I did loads and loads of things in life. I love church as well um, and was involved in all the youth clubs. Um, So I did lots of stuff when I was about eight. Um, And then move on to about 18. I went to do a year out up in the north of England in Lancashire. And um, it was a bit strict. And I can understand why they had some of these rules. But there was no relationships allowed, no drinking, no smoking. And to be honest, my life looked really bland. I stopped swimming. I didn't play the violin or piano. I didn't join any clubs. In fact, I had no money to even go home. And so I got to university at the age of 19, and I felt quite frustrated with myself. I'd had a really active um, childhood and teenage years, maybe a bit too active. Um, But then suddenly everything had become so bland. And so Freshers Week came around when I was 19. I think I joined up to 15 societies. um, And I managed to keep most of them up in the first year. So I joined um, Outdoor and Expo. I went canoeing and surfing most weekends. I joined loads and loads of clubs, and it was really great. And I got back a sense of who I was, who Nay really was. I learned how to cook there for the first time properly. Um, I learned how to surf. I learned how to canoe. I learned how to sail. I did all these things, and I really discovered who I was. But also at university, um, I got involved in the Christian Union, and we had some great opportunities to really be involved with telling the campus about what we thought about Jesus. Um, And... And with that, um, a strange kind of um, problem came into my life where I was really wanting to be keen about telling people about Jesus, but also I really loved canoeing and surfing and baking and and all those things. Um, And I guess one question I've asked all the way through my life is, how should we live? What does it mean to live for Jesus? What is spiritual? Uh, What is holy? What, What does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And to be honest, I think we get it wrong quite a bit of the time. I certainly get it wrong. And we tend to think that there are some things that are really spiritual and really sacred, and the holy Christians do those. And then the other things that we really enjoy and really love, and we do in secret. So hopefully today, uh, I just want us to look at Genesis, to look at the God who's created this world and his creation. And I just want to take you through how I've experienced a bit of a change in my thinking. So to begin with, I'm sorry, but you're going to do a bit of work. Um, can we see that? Is that big enough, John? Can, we, can people read that? Okay, I'm going to have to read it, but I can't see it. Is there any chance we could get that bigger? Sorry to be pain. What I wanted to do is to read a quote from the Manic Street Preachers and then discuss it in pairs. Basically, what we think about God and how he created this world really impacts how we live. Okay, so I want us to think about 
what's going on here? What does he think about God and how the world was created and how that impacts how he lives? How, how he lives? Great. Sorry, this is a bit difficult, isn't it? Okay. Okay, let me go for reading this. Sorry. Pardon. Thanks, John, yeah. You can't read it. I'll, I'll read it from here, so right. Okay, so quote from the Manic Street Preachers. I ask him, Sean purely making conversation, what he has been enjoying in his life. He raises his eyebrows. Nothing really. I don't enjoy anything. I just exist. To be truthful. Because you know it's got to come to an end. We really despise hedonists who do everything regardless of what people think. Doing nothing and not enjoying life has its consequences too. Only to yourself. It's personal. It's very wasteful. It's very wasteful, it must be said. It's a terrible dilemma, the whole thing. It's just a huge cacophony of contradictions. It's just a complete confusion. If you simplify your life as much as possible, then hopefully those threads sort of untangle. I appreciate flowers a lot more than I used to. I appreciate that things are untainted, the innocent. He does not have children and has no plans to have children. Probably because this world is such a terrible place. Put it this way, if the world ended tomorrow... If the human race ended tomorrow, I wouldn't have any regrets about it whatsoever because I don't think we've contributed anything whatsoever in the entire history of the planet that's worthwhile. At the end of the day, everything's dust and that is it. A slightly depressing view of the world, isn't it? But this is what a lot of my friends think and a lot of our pop stars and people in the media think. So what I wanted to do in in pairs is just ask this question, what view of the world is expressed... And what difference does this view make to the way Sean lives? If you find that too hard, just discuss what view of the world is expressed with your friends and in the media, and what difference does it make what they believe about the world to the way they live. Is that okay? Just for a few minutes. Okay. So what... What view of God and the world is expressed here? Well, Sean just thinks it's all got to come to an end anyway, so what's the point? I'm not going to enjoy anything. I'm not going to bear children into this world. There's no point. There's no hope. There's nothing to live for. There's slight irony because he likes the flowers, the untainted things in this world. But on the whole, he thinks it's completely random and it's completely meaningless. Some of your friends may feel that too. Certainly, um, my dad thinks that. Um, other people think that life is a bit of an illusion and really we need to get behind it to get into the real reality. Um, some people think that this world is just a prison and we need to escape it, a bit like Nirvana. If anyone here watched um, Avatar, massive blockbuster of a film, absolutely brilliant, and so many people loved Avatar that afterwards they had to set up post-Avatar depression forums. Seriously. Listen to this. Ever since I went to see Avatar, I've been depressed. Watching the wonderful world of Pandora and all the Na'vi made me want to be one of them. I can't stop thinking about all the things that happened in the film and all of the tears and shivers I got from it. I even contemplate suicide, thinking that if I do, I will be rebirthed in a world similar to Pandora and everything that is the same in Avatar. So Avatar is this wonderful film about this wonderful world that's untainted, untarnished, um, beautiful people, beautiful place, until the Americans come along and spoil it. <laughs> um, it's slightly political. 
But some people think that this world is a prison and we just need to escape it. We just need to be rebirthed, like going to nirvana. Some people think that this is insignificant. It's just a sea of nothingness. And what we believe about God in this world or no God and whatever it is we think is here really does make a difference to how we live. And so a question for yourself, um, think about how you live. What kind of God does that point to? If people could tell uh, what kind of God you believed in by how you live, what does your life say and what does the God point to that you live for? We're going to have a look at Genesis 1. If you want to open it up, it's on page 3. John's going to come and read to us. So as believers, we want to see what God, who God is and, and the creation he's made and what that tells us about how we can live. So John's going to read Genesis 1, verse 1 to 28. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, 
increase in number, fill the waters and the skies, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. These are potentially familiar verses, aren't they, to us? Or it may be the first time that you've ever read it. What I want us to do is just on your own, pray, ask God to speak to you, and look, um, just skim it, and look, what does this say about the Creator, and what does this say about creation? Just enjoy it, ask God to speak to you, and just think, what does this say about the Creator and creation? Just for a minute. Okay, so if what we believe about God and the creation really impacts how we live, when I look at my life, what kind of God do I worship? You know, I'm a bit rushed. I think there are some things that are particularly spiritual and some things aren't. Um, I sometimes wonder if God really approves of me, if I'm right before him, if there's stuff I need to do. And actually, as I evaluate and reflect on myself, I just think how far my understanding of God actually is. So can we just take a fresh Genesis 1, might be the first time, you might have read this 50 billion times and preached on it yourself, but let's just have a look at what this says, firstly, about our creator. So this is basic stuff, but I hope it's helpful. So firstly, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have a God, and we know he's a personal God, who created this world. This means that life isn't random. It's no accident. It's got meaning and it's got purpose because God has created it. Compare that to, say, Richard Dawkins, who says this world is meaningless, there's no purpose, it was random, it was an accident. Imagine that your life has no meaning, no purpose, there's no reason for love, you are an accident. Instead, we have a God, verse 1, who created, a personal God who creates. Did you see the repetition? And God said, and God said, and God said, then God said. Verse 1, 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 18, 20. We have a God that creates by his word. His word is powerful and effective. I think as close as we get to that is Matilda in the Roald Dahl stories. She can move stuff by her words, can't she? But she doesn't create stuff. And that's a story. 
I try to create stuff by my words and it just doesn't happen at all. I have to buy the ingredients from Waitrose and make the, the brownies. I can't just speak a brownie into existence in my kitchen. So God creates by his word. It's effective. It brings life. God speaks, simply speaks, and it is so. Over and over again, God's word goes out, his spirit moves, and the result is light and life. The fullness of all creation. What an amazingly powerful God. And that's the same as people come to know God as in creation. God's word goes out. Jesus is the word made flesh. And as his word goes out, the spirit moves and light and life and the fullness of creation comes to being. Verse 1 again, or sorry, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God creates out of nothing. Imagine my brownies again. I need the flour, I need the butter, I need the cocoa and the extra chocolate chips because John likes that. I can't create out of nothing. I can only create out of something. So God creates out of nothing. There was darkness, it was formless and empty. So this means there's no life outside of God. Life comes from God alone. If there was anything before creation, then there would have been life outside of God. It also means that humanity is completely dependent upon God. That's what it means to be human. Dependent on him Not just for our creation, not just for our salvation, but for every single part of our day and our life. Also have a look how God did not create himself. He was there in the beginning. God and creation is different. They're distinct. He's distinct from creation. It's his creation, and as we'll see in a bit, it's really good. And therefore it should be enjoyed, valued and honoured. So that's a little bit about the creator. What about his creation? Did you see how much it said um, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good? So everything that God created in the beginning was good. There was no evil. Evil cannot come from God. And if it's good, if it's this good, if it's very, very good, then who are we to sit back and not enjoy it? If it's this good, it's to be enjoyed. There should be no sacred or secular divide. There aren't some things that are good and some things that are really spiritual and holy. No, everything is here to be enjoyed. It's really, really good. Isn't that freeing? That going to work and doing what you enjoy in work or coming home and doing what you enjoy at home, that is good and that is to be enjoyed. So it's wonderful that Corinne and George have a baby. That is to be enjoyed as much as evangelism or being in church. It's good that John can go to the hospital and do his research and enjoy that. That is good and to be enjoyed. But it's also good that I can garden and I can enjoy picking off the tomatoes off my my tomato bush. Not that I've got very many. But creation is good. It's really good and it's to be enjoyed. It's not to be rejected. It's our spiritual to enjoy creation as it is to be here this morning. What else is there in here about creation? Well, humans are created, verse 27, in the image of God. Pascal says that man is neither angel nor beast. Mankind alone was created in the image of God. Mankind is the created representation of his creator here on earth, the image of the divine glory. That's what we are. God's representatives here on earth. 
So we're to be like him, we're to image him, we're to mimic him, to copy him. We are like him. But when it talks about image, really it means that we are defined in relationship to God. So if you kind of question, who are you? Do you have any value? Do I have any worth? Being in God's image means we are defined by being in relationship to him. And if you're not in relationship with him this morning, it's really easy. Just ask him to come in and show himself to you. famous quote um, from Augustine says this, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. So if you're restless this morning, find your rest by being made in the image of God. You are who you are because you're defined by him. Also, if you read this as a scientist, which I did do biology, but I'm not the best scientist in the world. If you want to hear more stories on that, come and ask me later. Um, But you'll see that creation is really ordered. Can you see how God makes stuff and then he fills it? He makes stuff and then he fills it. He makes stuff and then he fills it. The fact that it's ordered shows that it's planned. It's got a purpose, which means that we can rely upon him. He's faithful in creation. We can trust him. It also means that people can do science because he's faithful and trustworthy in his creation. But we keep on asking ourselves, how should we live? Nay, surely this is about the beginning of the world. Don't you realise that it's tainted? Can't you see how things have changed? Well, if you know um, the story in Genesis chapter 3, man and woman rebel against God. They want to be like God themselves. They reject him and take that place for themselves. And the effect of the curse is not just on man's relationship with God, but it's on man's relationship with creation It affects man's relationship within himself and man's relationship with God and with each other. So the effect of the curse is massive. It affects everything in our world, every relationship in our world. But Jesus didn't come just to restore our relationship with God. He came to restore our relationship with ourselves, with each other and with creation. Revelation 21 talks about how we look forward to the day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth with the people of God together, worshipping him together. So we look forward to Eden being restored. This garden becoming a garden city where we will live with God in a new heaven and a new earth, no pain, no mourning. It says uh, in, one, in Amos, it talks about how the wine fields will be so abundant that there'll be more fruit than we can actually gather. Imagine that. If you come to my garden, I've not been a fruitful gardener this summer. I've had tons of courgettes and courgette flowers, that, but the tomatoes are only just coming through. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will be in perfect relationship with each other, within ourselves, with God, and with creation. So this world is not just going to burn and die and that's it and we float around as people on clouds for the rest of our life or as souls on clouds. There is so much more to our salvation than that. So the question is, if this world is being restored, new heaven and new earth, new relationships with each other, with God and with creation, then how should we live? So let's have a look at verse 28. Humans, we've got a distinct responsibility and a part to play in the creation of the world. And if you look at verse 28, this is what God, this is the first great commission, this is what God calls mankind to do. 
Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Have a look at 2.15 as well. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So how should we live? This is the first great commission. We know the second one, which is to go out and tell the world about Jesus. The first great commission, what are Adam and Eve told to do? They're told to breed. They're told to spread out across the earth and live in it. They're told to subdue the earth and rule over it. In other words, humans are given the responsibility to be like God themselves, to go out to work and to care and to spread out in this world. So that means any kind of culture making that you do is completely what it means to be a human. It's not just gardening or taking care of things, but it's filling, it's breeding, it's spreading out in all areas of life. Can you see that? The first command God gave us, and he has never taken it back. If you're a human being, this applies to you. It is why God placed you on the planet. So how should you live? It's not just about Sunday mornings, 10.30, or home group on a Wednesday at 6 o'clock, though we love that. It's about the whole of our life. Colossians says that everything you do can be done for the glory of God. So how should we live? Well, Julian Hardman, in a great book called Maximum Life, says this. Culture doesn't just mean arty stuff, but anything we do that grows and develops all the potential God has given us in ourselves as he made us in his image and in the earth as he has put us in it. So it includes agriculture and poetry, science and cities, technology and sport. So how should we live? Firstly, we're to develop culture. So I'm not just talking about high culture. I'm talking about anything you do that develops, that spreads out, that multiplies, that fills, that grows. That's what we're to do as humans. But as I said right at the beginning, um, we have this slight belief that some jobs are more godly than others, don't we? Have a look at this list, again from Maximum Life. Julian Hardman says that uh, we think there are some jobs that are very, very spiritual. Can you see this? I'm not sure if you can. Um, because they involve extra sacrifice. So the missionary, uh, doing evangelism and church planting. Then there's the very spiritual, which is the pastor or full-time Christian worker in the UK. There's a worthy and socially useful teacher, doctor, nurse, social worker, overseas development worker. Worthy but not very useful, lawyer, engineer, civil servant. Um, Suspicious, neither worthy, very useful, probably sinful, estate agent, ballet dancer, professional footballer, Not even on the list, retired, unemployed, stay-at-home mum, students. Sorry, guys. (laughs) This is what we believe, isn't it? You know, I can think that. I I rate it number two on that list, and I can think that sometimes. This isn't actually accurate or biblical. This is what we think, and these are the traps we fall into. So if Colossians is correct, saying that everything we do is for the glory of God, if being human is about imaging God in developing culture then actually this is what the list... Oh, could... Oh, no, it's gone. What the list should say... (laughs) Have we got that on the list? No. Let me find it. What the list should say is actually... I'll flick on. This is what we think. There's some sacred, there's some 
sacred, there's some secular. Actually, what the list says is this. All things can be done for God's glory, but equally, all those things can be done for ourselves. Do you see? It's not that church, CU, quiet times is done in the sacred and work, study, watching TV is done in the secular. Actually, all these things can be done for God or can be done for self. So church can be done for ourselves as much as our work. Quiet times can be done for ourselves as much for, as, as work. So the challenge is not um, separating ourselves from the sacred and secular things, but actually the whole of our life is worship to God. So again, Julian Hardman says this, The result of this is that Christians who work in the business world sometimes labour under a faint cloud of guilt, Uh, But being a potter or an accountant or a chartered engineer or a software engineer or a landscape gardener or a checkout assistant in Sainsbury's is not just about paying the bills and finding people to witness to, nor nor is being a missionary, sorry, nor is being a housewife in Maidstone any less inherently glorifying to, to God than being a missionary in Mongolia. In and of themselves, all these occupations are ways for Christians to glorify God And if you are not called to be an evangelist or a pastor, you should not feel guilty about that. You must not feel you are doing something that is inferior in God's sight. So the first thing is, how should we live? We should develop culture. We should be be who we are. What do you enjoy doing? What are you really passionate about? And how can you do that for God's glory? Secondly, we're to live life to the full. I think that's a really great point. Um, as a cell group, we've been reading Everyday Church. It's a brilliant book. And Tim Chester says this. He says that Christians should be people that love Jesus, love people, and love life. Listen to this. We need to be people who love life. Christians should be the world's natural enthusiasts. We see the world as a theatre of God's glory. Okay, we know it is marred by sin and scarred by suffering, but we also see it in many good things from God. We know that everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it was received with thanksgiving. Sport, gardening, technology, literature, DIY, work, cars, food, fashion, all these things are good gifts from God for our enjoyment. Our job is to have fun to the glory of God. So that's what it means to be human. That's what it means to be Christian. So in pairs, can you just discuss that? How can you have fun to the glory of God this week? So as humans, as Christians, we're called to develop culture. It's not just arty stuff. We're called to live life to the full, to enjoy God for his glory this week. Um, But lastly, we're called to redeem society. So how should we do that? Well, we want to show, um, sorry, we want to show Christ's lordship over the whole of our life. What does that include? Here are some suggestions. Advertising. Rock music, landscape gardening, secretarial work, fabric technology, the penal system, poetry, engineering, architecture. We want to show Christ's lordship. He is God. He's created this good world. We want to show that he is Lord over the whole of creation. And we can do that this week. We know that this world is seriously flawed and tainted. Even on the first call to go and fill and subdue is a painful and difficult thing if you can't seem to give birth. 
But you look at the redemption of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, one of the promises all the way through that is that there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more infants that last a few days, there'll be no more death. So we want to redeem this society in the understanding that we live in a seriously flawed and tainted world. Um, Julian Hardman again says this, Our mission is to be salt and light in the world, to do our best to keep society from getting worse, Salt was more of a preservative than a flavour agent in the ancient world and shine the love of God into it by doing good work that people can see. Good works of all kinds, incidental acts of kindness to strangers as well as working well at our studies or our jobs. The church is more than evangelism society, though never less than that, is a group of people deeply committed to God, to one another and to the society around them. So are we people that develop culture? Are we people that live life to the full? Are we known as the most enthusiastic people on our street or in our office? And are we aiming to redeem society through poetry, through art, through football clubs, through our work, through whatever way we feel that God is calling us to? This is a big challenge, isn't it? But if we remember that the whole of life is worship to God, God created it good for us to enjoy, and he can be glorified in everything and in anything that we do, then I think as Christians together, we can stand together and pray for each other to live well for him. And the irony is, when we start living like this, we have more opportunities to tell people about Jesus. I find when I'm more relaxed and I'm just doing the things I enjoy doing, actually, more opportunities come to talk to people about him whether that's in the swimming club or whether it's as I'm getting a massage from my friend Bridget. Whatever it is, there are more opportunities to love people as we are who God has created us to be. So let's just take some time to pray about how we can respond to this challenge. Father God, thank you that you created this world really good, very, very good. Thank you that you want us to enjoy it and to glorify you by simply enjoying it. Father, we're sorry that we create such a divide between things we think are spiritual and unspiritual. Please would you change us to be culture makers, to be people that live life to the full, and to be people that genuinely interested in redeeming the whole of society so that everyone may know you are Lord. Father, would you free us to be who you've made us to be, and help us feel no guilt or condemnation in life, but to know that Jesus is enough for us, for all that he's done for us at the cross. And I pray that as a church, as we begin to live um, more free in this area, you would really use us and bless us, and help us to share the hope that we have in you with our friends. Father, pray for us as we work that we would see that as spiritual, and as we tend for children, and as we... Um, see our friends and as we are part of sports clubs and societies please Lord would you help us see that this can be all done for your glory so Father thank you that life isn't random or meaningless thank you that it has purpose thank you that we can find rest in you alone Amen